one. Hey, Mariana. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going. How are you? <laughs> I wish people could listen in to our pre-show. You mean the, the 20 minutes of me like fighting the podcast studio equipment? I need to send a... Uh... Oh, and that. See? And that, yeah. I, I need to include a picture of um, the, the studio desk with all the wires and craziness, amps and stuff. Yeah. So people upgraded. know what you're doing. This is yeah. what we go through in order to provide you with this quality conversation. All for free. All for free. Yeah, nobody gives us a, a darn thing. It's sad. You, and you hear think our would, baby was, in the background. Yeah, right. I mean, this is why people listen to the show, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you drink coffee. Yeah. So, so how how's you? your day been? I was going to ask you the same thing. I was going to ask you the same thing. Uh, it's good. It's good. Lots of lots of meetings. Um, t- took a took a, like a, a a test this morning. Not not a health test. I can't pass those, but I can pass like the other types of tests. So that's always fun when you pass a test. Yeah, and you get the little. Did you get it like straight after you had done it, or do you have to wait for the mail? Nobody waits for the mail anymore, right? That's no. There, there's an arcade fire call, uh, song called "We Used to Wait." That was really good it's about writing letters and stuff. Um, no, this was like a computer based. <laughs> test so you, so you take it and, and it says like hey you passed or either like oh you didn't pass so you need to take it again but oh like a nice congratulations that's a good way to start the day so the first time i ever did that was i mean we we had a couple of you know i grew up in the 80s and 90s so we had a, a few like computer tests or whatever by enterprising teachers but the first like real computer test i ever took with was the ac no was it yeah yeah act yeah, it was on a uh, green and black screen, and I just like a you know old computer screen. Um, but I just remember at the end, like it gave you your score, and I was like, "All right, you made a thirty-two out of thirty-three. Congratulations, rock on!" And you're like, "Wait, that's it? That, that's that's what?" <laughs> I don't have to go home and like sweat out like when, when's the SAT score is going to arrive? When's the mail coming today? Yes. Yeah. And then when I got into my PhD program, I had to take the GRE. Oh boy, Amy Lou's not happy. I had to take the GRE, which was also online, and that was like 2001, 2002, and it kept freezing up, and uh, it was it was ridiculous. But anyway, and it's timed, right? So what do you do if it's timed and it freezes up? The yeah. instructions from the proctor were you you hold up both of your hands like hands up, don't shoot type. <laughs> <pose>. <laughs> so uh, hands up, I can't figure out what the what is going on in this. You know, I was pretty, I was pretty tech literate back then. So, you know, I'm like the white guy, like hands up, don't shoot. Like, please come fix my computer. It was, it was pretty terrible. <laughs> but uh, Oh, you know. that's a good memory. So I can remember in elementary school, the spring testing, we called it, always called it spring testing. And the gym would be taken over by desks that we never used, but had the desk and chair desk attached to it. Yes. Oh, wow. So you couldn't have anything, you couldn't take anything with you except a, a number two. No, I, they gave you number two pencils. You couldn't and even take sword. anything. Here, take this. It's dangerous out there. It's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you don't know what that means. That's from Zelda. Yeah, I do know what that means. I grew up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So My brothers sense. had video games. Anyway, so I watched it. So we would walk into this gym and it'd just be this like darkness. And then when I was a teacher during standardized tests, I remember... I would have to, uh, I was working in high priority schools. So there was this one that I, like they had to fill it out. 
there had to be marks on it. So there was this one girl whose mom worked three jobs and she slept like at grandma's house first before mom got off work and then went home to sleep. And I had to wake her up and say, fill in a bubble, honey, fill in a bubble. And I thought this is the most inhumane thing like this. She just needs to sleep today. Like it's finally quiet in her class. So she, she had to do what? You have to, yeah. you, yes, she had to wake her up every time and she would fill in a bubble. She would not l- look at the question at all and just wake up, fill a bubble, go back to sleep. Because there have to be marks on the page. Yeah, we, uh, I remember when I was, when I was teaching, even in, yeah, this was at an independent school and, and a kid got through with, I, I guess it was like GREs. No, what's it called? What's, what's ERBs. ERBs, yeah. And uh, poor kid had uh, completely. They, they were already getting help for, you know, some multiple reading things, reading issues. Yeah, but they had completely filled out the entire section of like bubble stuff, like skipping one number. So instead of like starting with number, like they skipped number two or something. So every answer was off from like the very. <laughs> Oh yeah, and uh, they're like, "What do I do?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> so I race them all and start over. And he was like, "But what? I mean, we, we only have like ten minutes left." And I was like, "Well, you know, just kind of erase one at a time and see how many you can." I don't like problem solve. So anyway, that was that was terrible. Uh, yeah, the whole testing culture is ridiculous. Oh and yeah, and if a if a student like gets sick in the middle of it, you have to put their vomit. <laughs> test in a Ziploc bag and still submit it. Like this is why this one's not completed. Well, see, and that's the problem. That's the problem with uh, no child left behind and, and our, our current public school system. One, one of the problems. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm being sarcastic. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't like no child left behind, but that's just me. Yeah, I know. Well, and I'm, you know, I'm waking up this girl to answer questions that obviously she's not going to answer because She's high poverty at risk. Like there's so many other things going on with her and I'm just sitting there going, great. You know, that one's going to be reflected on my assessment as a teacher. Cause you get a teacher profile too. Yeah. Of like what your rate of success is. And it's, you know, last week here in Columbia, the teachers did the walkout on May 1st and they gathered around the state house and they had an, a great number of, I mean, just a, a wonderful number of participants, I think all wearing red. And I think, yeah, like nobody really knows what's going on in the, in the schools. And I also, but I also think, you know, the schools, at least in our country have taken over. I've just finished, um, simplicity, the art of simplicity by Richard Foster have taken over what the church used to do. Like we used to take care of the poor. We used to provide meals for the poor. We used to do these things. And now our public school systems are giving free breakfast and free lunch to all these kids who are hungry. You know why? Cause there's nobody helping them. Well, and you know, the church became the country club and yeah. the schools became the community center. So my, yes, my huge theological crisis was, um, precipitated by this stark realization that I had kids in my hometown where, you know, all these churches were endeavoring to build new buildings because that's what they did while I was growing up. And my kids didn't have a bed to sleep on. Yeah. 
or, or clothes to wear and yeah yeah you remember when we did that service project at together the school across town at the school across town like you yeah. and i came together and did it and those yep. kids came out and said they said they didn't have a bed and i said they probably didn't yeah our students who were going to it a little more <laughs> it, it was a, a nice independent school we'll say we'll yeah say yeah and this dark realization but i i didn't the mission trips I did growing up were away from our city. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's go to Kentucky and build houses for the Appalachians who, yes, you know, or let's go to, you know, Charleston and, and build houses down there, or let's go to Jamaica and build houses or Puerto Rico, you know, but, but. Oh, let's go sail on a Bahama on a, on a boat in the Bahamas and build houses and offer relief. Well, you gotta you gotta wrap the vacation in with the service so that you can get the young people to show up because young yeah. people aren't going to show up just to do work and help people. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic again. <laughs> I, yeah, but that, I mean that's a that's a stark reality is that our public school systems have taken on all of these public health, all of these public services. Right, like now you go to public school and one day I have to. Uh, adjust my teaching schedule because everybody's going to get their fluoride rinse because they don't have access to health care to go to the dentist and dental insurance is offered often an add on and not included in regular insurance. Then another day we have to send, uh, you know, five students at a time to the nurse to see if we have lice. And we have to oh, do yeah. that every quarter. You know, my, my then, first, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, and then, con you know, you constantly have these, programs that are really important, right? Like the fluoride and, and those kinds of things are providing health and health care for students who are at risk. But at the same time, I, I don't have any time to teach because of all the programs they've implemented. Yeah. But I mean, things like the, you know, free uh, breakfast programs that, you know, kind of started like in Oakland and in, 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 out in California and spread, uh, spread out from there. And now, you know, a little, Lots and lots of schools, even here in South Carolina, have similar programs where it's it's like, you no, know, it's not, you know, free or reduced lunch. It's just you get breakfast if you come to school, like go get yeah. some breakfast. Like that's such a, a pivotal thing. And like you said, you know, churches used to do that. Um, but as as our community sort of transformed, I guess, like schools really are the last sort of bastion of, of kind of neighborhood, if you will. Yeah, like, like, yeah. We, like we were talking last week with some but friends. But not and, anymore and people because say, no child left behind, you get school choice. So kids well, are being bused I mean, to, to some extent, but not not really. I mean, you know, to, to some extent, it, it's still, okay, well, I live in this neighborhood, so my kids go to this school. And it's not where do you go to church anymore. It's where do, you, where do your kids go to school. Like yeah. that's become kind of the, the new, like, well, where do you work or where do you go to church? Um, and, you know, I, I I see both sides of it. And, and honestly, because of the, especially in, in states like ours, um, the, the real failure of our kind of social safety net to look out for people, which has been, you know, part of our country's story. I mean, going back to the founding of our country, we've not really done a great job of taking care of people who were quote at, you know, recovering or at the bottom or, or in transition or anything like that. Or in minorities. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> three-fifths of a, of a person, right? Um, you know, and especially here in South Carolina with our, our nature of slavery and 
um, sharecropping and then Jim Crow, I mean, well into the 19th century, let alone things like the Great Depression and then what happened in 2007 and 2008, which people are still recovering from. Uh, there, there's, there's been this real kind of need that I don't think the church has done a great job of, of jumping into and helping sort of support communities to, to recover from. And we're not yeah. having those crucial conversations and we want to talk about, you know, theological stuff or, or stuff that, you know, it's, it's kind of the third level up of the ladder, you know, and, and like Gandhi said, you know, don't, don't, don't talk to me about Jesus until my belly is full. So. Yeah. Well, but the other phenomenon that we've seen is that people don't go to a neighborhood church anymore. And so you're asking people to invest in a neighborhood that they don't live in, you know? And so that a lot of churches are in situations where they don't know their neighbors. Like they literally don't know the people who live around them and the people who live around them don't know there's a church there. Sometimes if you're in a different space than the traditional steeple, or if you're, in, if you're in Columbia, you know, like your, your church might be surrounded by a Shoney's and a Best Buy and, you know, a Target, <laughs> you know, like today yeah. I, I went to an office park and there was a church there, a very well-known big name church in this area. And I was like, oh, that's where that church is. And it was literally beside a Wendy's and a movie theater and, you know, just kind of. Yeah, so you don't have, you don't have neighbors, right? There, there was no neighborhood. You're, I mean, you're like it, in this commercial space. It's literally a drive up to church and, and they use the movie theater on Sunday mornings to do some of their Sunday schools, which I cannot imagine. Um, anyway, not, not to disparage that, but I, yeah, I think it's really interesting that we're kind of in this cross current of, especially here in the South with kind of like evangelical churches kind of coming to this moment of, of not crisis, but this moment of transition between what was the American culture and what is becoming the American culture. Right. And confronting that in a, in a way that's either open and accepting or just shutting it off and saying, no, no, you can still, you know, get out of town and drive to our church right beside the, the movie theater and um, come experience Jesus. And then, you know, drive 15 minutes back home. And or, that, go that's a weird and thing. <laughs> or go to Shoney's or Wendy's. Yeah. <laughs> or Wendy's and eat afterwards. Not Chick-fil-A because they're closed on Sundays. Um, oh. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it's speaking of transitions. I mean, it's been kind of a, a big week in that regard, you know, with the passing of Rachel Hill Evans. Yeah. Kind of a major, you know, punch in the gut for, for lots of us who were, you know, kind of peripherally associated, but also following her and, and keeping up with, her books and her, her blog post and her, her tweets and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, people who pro- considered themselves part of the progressive movement or the ex-evangelical. Oh, ex-evangelical. Thank you. Movement. You know, she was definitely a spokesperson for that, and I think the just suddenness and tragedy surrounding her death is something people are definitely not going to be definitely not over, nor should they be. <laughs> But like yeah. trying to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how people. That kind of thing. Yeah, people have grieved over it. You know, whether they were allies or whether they were, you know, I've seen some. I won't name names, but people in the religious world that were kind of on the other side of the fence from her and would frequently spar with her, who have written blog posts or, or articles in places like Christianity Today about their sort of take on it, and no. it's interesting. It's interesting to see, you know, kind of us old white males, you know, say like, oh, well, 
she was such a great voice and we really appreciated her and uh, what a legacy. That's, that's fantastic. Good for her. And I don't know. I, I haven't said anything publicly because I don't think there's anything to say at this point, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't have words. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, I don't know. We, we live in a culture of stealing valor and, and trying to, you know, hit your wagon onto somebody or something that's, you know, kind of at, at the top of, you know, the, the Twitter hashtag uh, list or something like that. Like when David Bowie died, like I, I've always been a huge David Bowie fan and I didn't have any words. And then I saw all these people saying like, Oh, David Bowie died. Oh, he was so great. I love that one song he did. And I'm like, Oh, you don't understand. That's not, for you, you know, you're a poser. And, and part of that is, is, sorry. Oh, gracious. And now our little girl's going to grow up in a world without David Bowie. Um, you know, part of that's the Gen X, like, your poser thing that, that I have. Like when Kurt Cobain died and I was in high school and people were like, oh, I'm so sad. I'm like, you don't even care about Nirvana. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and I don't know. It's not, it, we, we all try to claim some part of it to, to help process the, the situation. But, yeah, and in her case, it's, it's such a shock with how young she was and, and – also, with how you know vibrant and prolific and, and just involved she was, it's, it's a big big blow. How young and sudden, I think, is what a lot of people are compre- comprehending. And I think we have we are in this society where we think everybody wants to know our opinion, right? So millennials, like we were talking about last week, always get cast as, oh, well, I don't want to see what you're eating for, like, don't show me what you cooked. Whereas fellow millennials are like, oh, that looks like a great recipe. Can you tell me what kind of pepper is that in there? And is that figs on your salad? That I never thought about figs, you know. So we participate very readily in, you know, our fellow people doing this kind of thing. But sometimes it's like you don't have to comment, you don't have to participate in that conversation, you don't have to. No one wants to hear your opinion on that. <laughs> so, no, no one cares what you think about the latest Game of Thrones episode. Right. You're not going to go viral. No one wants to hear your SoundCloud. It's okay. Yeah. And I think that is something that, um, you know, I we've been talking about spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. And the, the silence and solitude is not silence and solitude. Because even in the times that we're by ourselves, you know, we're attached to these greater communities and we're reading words and words and words and words all the time. Yeah. Or, or we're filling, you know, the void of our empty lives with Instagram and trying to stage the perfect picture and yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And I read a great article about the blowback from like generation Z quote unquote about how they were not using filters and just making kind of like uh, authentic pictures on places like Instagram, which I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get the point, but I, I, I do think there's going to be a, a kind of a, a blowback against the millennials because millennials are the new baby boomers. I mean, you, you all do kind of control the the conversation of any type of generational stuff that we talk about. But yeah, at the same time, the it, it's such number a number of us. Like yeah, there's such just a so many huge, of us. Huge group, but it's it's also what thirty eight to twenty four or something. It's the age range, which yeah, a, a 20, which is. Yeah, a 24-year-old is going to be completely different than a 38-year-old. And I, I got into a fascinating conversation last night on Reddit, of all places, with on, on my NASCAR subreddit. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last year, uh, a driver named Kevin Harvick, who's sponsored by Bush Beer. Yeah, make, make your jokes. Uh, 
he uh, he, he was in the final four for the championship race, like Lightning McQueen. And mm-hmm. he, he uh, Bushbeer put out a tweet saying, hey, we're so confident that Kevin's going to win that if he doesn't, we're going to run this car next year for the millennials or something like that. Because Bushbeer is really trying to target millennials with their marketing and with their advertising, which is a whole other topic we should talk about one day. But uh, so the, the car was sponsored by Bush, but it was pink and it had like all the memes on it, you know, with like, <laughs> it, you know, had the Bush logo, then had, you know, AF after Bush, like, you know, uh, and totally lit and, and turn left for what, and, you know, all these kind of fun, quote, millennial memes. So the conversation last night was because they, they finally unveiled the car that they're going to run during the all-star race and it's going to be this car and it's ugly and it's got all these, you know, crazy memes and stickers and everything all over it. Um, but they're like, well, a promise is a promise. So here you go. Here's, here's the millennial car. So a, a lot of the people on our subreddit were like, you know, I'm, I'm 34. I'm considered a millennial. These, I don't know what any of these things are. You know? I don't know what this means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. And my brother's 28 and he talks in language I don't understand. And then, you know, the 28-year-olds are like, yeah, I've got a brother who's 21. I have no idea what he's saying. And then the 21-year-olds are like, ah, I've got a sister who's 14 and you can't really understand anything she's saying. You know, and here I am at 40. Like, I don't know what any of you people are saying down below me. Um Oh, I think the funniest thing is your uh, lack of understandings of emojis. <laughs> well, t- I was just on a text thread with with uh, my two best friends who you know, and we were talking about politics stuff. And one of them put, you know, FFS, which is a, a curse word, right? And I won't repeat it here. Um, so the, the other guy replied back like, what does that mean? <laughs> so we went down this long thread of, dude, how do you know not know what that means? So it was a bunch of 40, 45-year-olds explaining you know, text uh, shortens to to each other. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I misuse emoji all the time, and you're like, Sam, you should not time. send that saying, to someone. Who are you sending that to? I'm like, it's just an eggplant. I like eggplant. What's no, that mean? No, it's never just that. It's it's a the prayer hands. I'm saying like, yay, let's pray. And you're like, no, that's and it's a white person. I can't use the clap thing, right? The clap thing. What are you talking? Like about? the little clap hand. Like, isn't that like? pay attention like I'm woke pay attention type thing I have no idea I don't, I don't think so I don't think so but but you know we um I guess I always grew up with emojis that we would make with the characters on a keyboard right because I grew up texting and I grew up IMing when, when did I was you in get middle your first, school yeah so you had IM in middle school when did you get your first phone in high school I had a phone but it stayed in our car because you couldn't do anything but call with it. Was it like a so we would call? Uh uh-uh, uh no. I mean, you had a cord that was like into the you know cigarette lighter or whatever. Uh, it was blue. I remember that, and it was advanced because the antenna you didn't pull it up. It just it was a short little one that stayed together. Oh uh, yeah. And then when I was in, I was so trying you, to think when texting. The, the car phone where you had like the antenna that you had to put on top of the car that was magnetic. No, my grandparents <laughs> had that though. And my mom was really advanced because she had a car phone before it, many people had a car phone and it was, um, instead of having the bag phone, you know, it was like on a stand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My dad had those. I had, I had that actually too. Did you ever have a, a pager like in middle school or no. high school? No. So, 
I had a car. I got a phone when I started driving, and that was to call my parents when I would inevitably get lost around town and be like, "How do I get to this place?" Because um, my mom's famous line would be, "What do you see out the window?" <laughs> I was like, she would try to figure yeah. out where I was. We still have to do that with you when you're like, "I'm lost. Where am I?" And I'm like, "You have, you know, the world's information at your fingertips." Yeah, I had to carry a, like a, a bag of coins in my Jeep in high school because inevitably it would break down. And I would have to find a payphone somewhere, you know, in the middle of the country around Myrtle Beach or wherever we were. And <laughs> like, all right, I'm going to walk three miles to a payphone here. Let me get my so you know, our school little satchel had a, points. Yeah, our school had a payphone, too, that you would, well, if you were a high schooler, you could call, like, order food for lunch because yeah. we, didn't, we didn't have a cafeteria. Um, I used it quite often to call my mom to ask her to bring something that I had forgotten. Like a good student. Yes. Uh, why else would you use the phone? <laughs> See, at my school, they, they actually took the payphone out. We had a payphone kind of in the central lobby. Yeah, that's what we did, high school. too. Yeah, yeah so they, they took it out because people kept calling in bomb threats from the payphone. What? Yeah. So people, to you know, get school out. It's like, well, I don't want to take this history test, so <laughs> let me go to the oh, payphone. Yeah, was, that's clever. I know. I know. Um, yeah, I, I do miss payphone culture. That was kind of fun, you know, like you kind of knew where payphones were or like you would yeah, map them out. Like I knew where yeah. they were around town in case my Jeep broke down. So I would, you know, start walking and be like, well, there's one at the fast fair. So I need to start hiking over there. Um, you know, that's the other thing that I think that, Oh, you don't, I, I also knew where all of the mailboxes were because you, I don't know why, but we couldn't put mail in our mailbox. Oh, we'd never, we didn't have a flag growing up where you just do, the flag. So even now I don't do it all that much at our house in our mailbox. Cause it feels like, Oh, well she'll pick up like two or three things. But if I have like five things, I don't want to put it in my mailbox. That's putting her out or, or something like that. <laughs> so I actually know where the mailboxes are around town too, because I, I write a lot of letters that still we send letters. Yeah. I, I still write a lot of, I like letter writing. I'm an old man still, but the, um, yeah, the post office in my hometown was like like a big meeting spot. The, yeah, the happening place. You would go yeah. around this time of day. Yeah, and you would you would definitely well, we'd and go around after school or like around three or four o'clock. And we always had PO boxes growing up because my parents lived on a farm and that kind of thing. So it was like kind of an adventure to go to the mailbox every day. And oh yeah. Remember we had that business mailbox at the UPS store for a little while? Yeah. And I used to love doing that. And it was like a good like, I'm gonna go get out and take my 15 minutes and get to the UPS store. It's going to be awesome. Check and it, the mail? Yeah. And it was all spam, but like it was, there were definitely no client checks in there, but it was always fun to, to go do that. I've been thinking about that lately because here at the office, we don't, we, we can do mail, but um, yeah, it's a co-working space. So it's like kind of, you, you don't want to put, like you said, people out because then somebody has to answer the door for the, for the mail person. And then they have to put it on your desk and it's kind of weird. So I thought about doing a, another, UPS mailbox, but we'll how did see. we get here to this point of the conversation? Oh yeah. Cause we've lost like the community kind of feel right. So like yeah. the so church I used to be downtown, you'd take some food there or you'd check in to see, I mean, we grew up all the time going to church for scheduled events, but also we would just stop by church to check in on this or that, or to drop something off donation wise or something like that. And then 
you know, it was part of kind of the routine that you would check into with the church and the church would be the place where they would tell you if somebody had a need. And if you said, Hey, what's going on today? And they said, Oh, we'll have this lady come in who did it. Oh yeah. Well, let's, uh, we have that at home or I can go get that. Or, you know, so it used to be a place where people would come for sanctuary, for safety and to express a need. And or, I always or thought to that express was like help, like, like what you were saying with Rachel Held Evans a couple of nights ago, like instead of putting up a Facebook post about how much her, her death has impacted you and, you know, tagging her husband and then mentioning her kids and, you know, that kind of real personal stuff saying like, let me know how I can help. It's like, you know, why not just contact their church and say, or hey. let their church handle that. Right. Like that's right. part of being community and engaged into a community. And I don't, I mean, I can't even imagine what her family is going through with the just sheer number of followers that she had who were all across the the world, really, and who want to express their grief to her family. But, you know, you, you just have to recognize I'm an outsider and perhaps I just need to leave that be, you know, and let let the real true grieving process that is be a part of their core, you know, their, who they are without imposing yourself. And so I did this study on grief with one of our churches and, and they, we, we started it by saying, what are, what are the worst things that people said to you? And so we started that and there's so much of that that I've already seen in like the Twitter sphere and the Instagram sphere. It's like, these are people who study theology. These are people who study and then, but we still don't know what to do with grief, especially unexpected and tragic grief. And, you know, there's, I don't know. There's so much work to be done, I guess, is how I'm feeling today. <laughs> like our teachers yeah. are under so much stress that they're having to march and organize in order to, increase their pay because they're taking on all of these community and societal issues that the church isn't taking on. And the church isn't taking on those things because of safety in churches, because we know, you know, the, the violence that's been going on because of reduced budgets, because of all of these things. And it's just, I don't know. Sometimes do you ever get the feeling like it's all crumbling around you? It's, it's, it's all kind of coming unhinged here. (laughs) Well, and we're recording in the middle of May and, you know, May is the, I think the most stressful month of, of the year for lots of people because um, we've we've gone through the first few months of the year and you get to May and you realize, oh, oh gosh, like the year is really going by quickly. We're already yeah. in the fifth month and I haven't, I haven't done any of my resolutions and, and uh, my, my tax return wasn't as good as I thought it was. And yeah. summer's or coming up. I had up. to pay this year. Yeah. And what I'm going to do with my kids, you know, they're yes. going to be out of school. And, you know, gosh, I've got this big project coming up in August and, oh my gosh, what, what, what do I do here? So May kind of is this really stressful, uh, combative month. And it's interesting historically because it was, you know, this is kind of the feast month for the Virgin Mary and it's supposed to be, uh, you know, it goes back to a Greek goddess named Maya, who was the goddess of, of kind of uh, midwives and, and nurturing and this sort of idea of, of beginning new life and spring is springing and, and those types of things. And it is, but there's also a lot more expectations on us. <laughs> it is. 
I mean, you know, it's it's pretty outside. It's it's eighty degrees. You know, but, but, green. but see, no, everybody was saying that in April here in Columbia, and now that it's May, they're like, man, it's all. I mean, it already feels like it's summer. I mean, it's eighty something. I was like, two weeks ago when it was forty two degrees on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, you were like, wow, it's way too cold for April, and now it's warm, and you're complaining about that too. Well, here, you know, and and kids are graduating from college and university. Yes. So, yes. you, you know, Columbia is going to lose about 50,000 students here in the next couple of weeks. So all the businesses are, are like, oh, gosh, what do we do? It's summertime. And yeah, and, and so. they're on a weird schedule. So all these students are just around. Right. So yeah, you can't drive because, through downtown right now. They're all just kind yeah, of they're in riding final, around on scooters. And yeah, yeah. they're just You're like, go, like go get a job doing the procrastination thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a weird month. It really, it, it's a transition month. It's kind of like August, you know, August, it, September, but mostly August is kind of this ramp up back from the summer. So for us, I mean, business wise and, and church wise, you know, August is the doldrums. Um, what was that? The Phantom. Do you remember the Phantom Toll Booth? Yes. It's my favorite book. I read it like in second or third grade, second grade, I think. And it was like one of the first books I read by myself that I was really proud of. And uh, but anyway, there, there's this part where the person or the character has to go through the, uh, the doldrums. And that's always stuck with me, ah. like, this concept of going through this kind of underworld or, or this uh, Gehenna or, you know. Not, not <laughs> you're comparing May the whole month to that? Is that yeah. where you're going? That's where you're going. <laughs> it's, it, it really is like purgatory. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're becoming alive, but we're not really alive. <laughs> or we're not dead, but we, you know. So yeah, we're, we're kind of like the, the, the warriors of ancient has- Greece milling around. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for a new life has sprung, but now it's like there's it's dying because it's way too hot. Well, and and you realize you're not part of the new life; you're part of the old life. And it's like, well, there's all this new life, and do I fit into this? Where's Where's my place? Yeah. And how do I tame this new life? Right. I was just looking at our rose bush, going, "We got to get this under control because it's been so successful." (laughs) Yeah, try try mowing around that thing, but and and I think the church has a lot to to say about that because it's Easter tide. Yes. And the idea of of renewal and new life and that kind of stuff really plays into this May period, especially when when Easter is a little early like it was this year. You know, sometimes... No, Easter was really late this year. Was it late this year? Yeah. So usually Easter tide falls within the month of April. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't go this far into May, usually. It's all the moon's fault. Correct. (laughs) All right. Well, we got to wrap up here in a minute because... Gotta, I'm gonna get booted from our from our podcast studio, but well, but if you feel like you're going through the doldrums, yeah, is that what it's called? I mean, just look for evidence of new life. It's around you, even in the midst of grief and death. I think that's something we got to hold on to. Well, you know, the law of conservation of energy and mass. You know, nothing is neither created or or destroyed. You know, it's mm-hmm. all we're all. I mean, we get our heavy elements from some distant supernova that happened billions of years ago that will never see because it's too far distant but those pieces of carbon and uh you know iron and and calcium and phosphorus that make us up came from these distant stars and that's pretty cool to think about um just like all our buildings and bricks and all the stuff around us you know we've created this stuff with our hands we've melted sand so that we can see outside you know through glass and and those that type of ideas is a really nice idea when you're going through the doldrums I think so too. All right. 
Anything else? Where can people find you? Mariana.net. Mariana.net. Yeah, that's just the best place. Start there. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Love you. Love you.